Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your hosts. I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm... Charlie... Ginsburg. <laughs> what? Charlie Ginsburg. Charlie Ginsburg. I thought you were going to say uh, Charlie Chaplin. No. That's a real person. Was a real person. Wow. Wow. All right. Oh, uh, well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, before we get into the episode, um, I just want to touch back on something that we talked about last week. Um, last week, we mentioned that... Uh, season five is going to start a new medium for us. We're going to be recording the podcast for a YouTube channel as well as putting out the audio. Uh, I just want to clarify on some things I caught after we finished the episode. Um, so at, once we wrap this season, um, Jeremy and I are going to take uh, a two-week break just to kind of get everything ready because this is going to be so new for us. Uh, we want to make sure we get everything right right off the bat. Um, so there'll be about a two week gap uh, before you see the beginning of season five. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I also uh, want to make a correction on my correction oh, uh, yeah. from last week because last week I had said that there was a, uh, a 22, 21 year gap in between uh, Casino and the movie we are doing today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wait, no, because Cape Fear is in there somewhere. And I assumed that Cape Fear came out after, and it did not. And so I was correct at first, and then I second-guessed myself and uh, told myself I wasn't right. And you know what? I should know better. (laughs) You know, what's funny is when you said it, when you're like, well, no, they did Cape Fear. I was like, I feel like Cape Fear came out before Casino, though. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? He's seen more Martin Scorsese movies than I have. He's probably right. I was not. And then when I watched the, uh, I mean, the conversation, I was, right, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, he got it wrong. I got, well, I got it right, and then I doubled back and got it wrong. So, um. <laughs> um, But yeah, if, uh, if you listened to last week, you'll know that for our series and season finale uh, is The Irishman. Um, dude, I was... Uh, oh, man... This it, movie was awesome. Yeah, it, it's a movie that when when you see it, and of course now that you have all of this context, yes, you're completely blown away by it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a lot to get into uh, with this movie. Um, I, you mentioned you know watching the the conversation that mm-hmm. uh, De Niro, Pesci, Pacino, and Scorsese have. Um, even in the conversation, you could see that. Pesci is kind of over being an actor. Yeah. Right? And it's just such a treat that they convinced him finally uh, to be in this. Because I think without Pesci, it, it's not the same movie. Yeah. You know, right? yeah, it, it really isn't. Um, because I feel like if they were to get anyone else for that role of of Russell... Um, I don't think it would have landed the same way. I agree. And, you know, with him being in it, there's a little uh, something that I'm going to mention later that is so amazing that it worked out this way that it ends up being a little nod to another movie. And we'll, we'll get to that. Uh-huh. Uh, but let's just jump right into it. So Absolutely. Um, this film is very dense. It's obviously very long. It's three yeah. and a half hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the way it's told with these three timelines um, I loved very very much because we have Frank 
and his journey into becoming a hitman, right? Mm-hmm. Into becoming uh, what he will end up being for Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. We have the road trip scenes, yeah. uh, which are its own little special thing, right? And we don't really understand what the significance of that is until it's too late, right? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we have the retirement home. Yes. And this is where he's telling us his story. You know, and again, um, Martin really knocking out of the park with this fantastic narration. Right. You know, right right off the bat, when um, when Frank is narrating for us, he only, I think, gets like two sentences and then he cuts off and he's talking directly to the audience at right. that point. And I... I loved it. He and Pesci do that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, Scorsese a little bit more. I mean, uh, De Niro a little bit more than Pesci. Pesci does it once, um, but still, uh, yeah. it's very, very cool to get this little you know thing that we noticed and that we really liked in Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, breaking of the narration, talking directly to camera. Um, you know, and what, and I think why I really love how they did it with De Niro is you know. When he starts it, he's he, Frank's already in the retirement home, and we know he's not talking to anyone. You know, kind of become sort of a senile old man, and he's just letting his thoughts out. But at the same time, we feel like he is talking to someone because he's not looking directly into camera. Mm-hmm. So, if he if there's no one else there, then who is he talking to? Well, he must be talking to us, right? Even though he's not looking. At us. Yeah, there's. Um, it's an interesting way to to present exposition in this mm-hmm. way of not only narration, but this you know this faux interview style. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's almost like it's very um, documentary style. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. And, I didn't think about that. Um, and I really like the way that he used both of those mm-hmm. right um, in this one uh, movie. Um, so what's really special about this one is that not only is it we get reunited with all the people that we have grown to, to love and respect throughout the years, mm-hmm. but this story in particular really is complemented more by their age. Yes. Um, it only works because they are as old as they are. Yeah, in, in the conversation, uh, which... I'm going to go and point out, uh, if anyone does decide to watch this on Netflix, um, two things should come up when you search The Irishman, the movie, and then one that says The Irishman in conversation, where it's just a 25-minute conversation between Martin, Robert, Joe, and Al, and they just talk about the movie. Um, So if you hear us referencing in the conversation, that's what we're talking about. Right. It's not the Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Gene Hackman movie, The Conversation. which I've probably mentioned on the show before. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, you know, they mentioned that. Uh, and Martin says that's why he felt like it worked so well is because they are older and the story almost becomes, even though it, it, this really happened, the story does become much more grounded because of their age. Right. It, you know, especially that second half mm-hmm. where we've caught up to them age-wise, right? right? And the only thing left to do now is age them further, right? Mm-hmm. So once we once we catch up, um, which it's kind of... I'm, I'm trying to think of exactly where halfway is. Uh, yeah, it's kind of... yeah, And where we catch up 
where their their age, which I mean, this couldn't matter any less. But I, I think that once we see them for how they really look, not I mean, because we already do in the road trip scenes, but right. during the the Frank becoming a hitman mm-hmm. timeline. I think it might be during the banquet or something is where we kind of catch up. It's probably a little bit before that. Maybe. Um, but anyway. Um, and I think the the thing that I really don't like that people point out about this movie is the, the use of de-aging. That... Because to me, it's just a suspension of disbelief, right? Right. It, it's... It was a way, and I know that you know this because Scorsese mentions it. it yeah, very early in, is, in that. He doesn't want to have to explain this to another actor, right? He doesn't want to have to... These guys inherently know the story, mm-hmm. right? And he doesn't want to have to go, okay, now in this scene, you're you're Frank and you're doing the blah, blah, blah. He doesn't have to do that with De Niro, right? Right. And so using the de-aging, waiting for the technology to catch up with where he needs it to be so the actors can be comfortable... Right? Yeah, because... No tennis balls in their faces, right? That's what he wanted. He didn't yeah. want there to be a giant tennis ball or whatever it, uh, obscuring their faces so they can have a conversation. Yeah, because... And I... and I So that so the de-aging, I want to talk about that just right. really quickly. Because that did... It, it didn't take me out of the movie, but when I first see Robert de-aged, I was like... Because it kind of took me back. Because since we started this series with a a 30-year-old Robert De Niro and he looked great, there was a little bit of, of that suspension of disbelief because I was like, but he didn't look like that when he was about that age. Yeah. But I will say, seeing how they did the de-aging for this movie versus Marvel, for instance, because Marvel has mm-hmm. done it, I think, more than any other production company, Marvel does the tracking dots on the face. That way they can still act and move around the way they need to. And then they go back in. But what they did is they put markers on their clothes. Right. On their collars, shoulders, hats. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not on their face. Yeah. Right. And a lot of that has to do with sort of just old school acting techniques. You don't want anything in the way. Right. Right. These guys are classically trained. And so when they are when they're acting with one another, they can't have something on the other person's face. It'll mm-hmm. distract them. Right. And so having it on their clothes, making that compromise to be able to still de-age them, um, but not have it obscure their face, genius. Oh, yeah. Right? And that's how we got the performances we got. Oh, yeah. And um, and the fact that uh, someone from Industrial Light and Magic, um, for those Star Wars listeners out there, um, the fact that they came to Martin were like, hey, this is uh, this is what we're working on. Would you want to use it? And then, as you said, Martin was like, well, yeah, I want to use it, but no tennis balls, no no headgear. Yeah. and Get it off their head, and we'll talk. Yeah. And so they're like, whatever you want. And so they just went to work, got it to where they needed it, showed it to him. He's like, perfect. Yeah, because, you know, in, uh, you know in, in other instances of using motion capture for things like that, like... Perfect. Another perfect example of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. specifically oh, right. the Hobbit movies. When Andy Serkis comes back as Gollum, that's when they had the headgear, so they had cameras pointed at his right. face, so they could, you know. Of course, that's a completely different use of that technology, because they had to turn Andy's performance into something completely else. But 
you know, if they had used that technology, I don't think Martin, uh, I mean, uh, Robert, Joe, or Al could have had these very powerful scenes that they do mm-hmm. um, when they're, quote-unquote, younger right. in those flashbacks. Now, another thing that was mentioned in that conversation, sorry, guys, we keep going back to that, <laughs> is, is something I wouldn't have really thought about, and it's you your voice has to be a little higher here. Mm, yeah. You will be standing up straighter here because you're 45 in this scene, right? And, you know, that's a... A really interesting acting challenge that I, I wouldn't have thought about is like, you know, at this point in the timeline, you need to act this way. You, your posture needs to be as such. Your voice needs to be here. Oh, yeah. Right? And so having to keep all of that in your noggin, I, I don't know if, you know, I mean, that would distract me. But um, those guys, you know, did a really good job. Yeah. there. I mean, there. I would say there was only a few times yeah. where you could tell, like. They're old. They're old. Um, like, um, I know exactly where you're going. Uh, I can't that, think of the specific scene, but it, it, it's one of when one De Niro of Robert's goes scenes. to to um, confront the guy at the deli or whatever who. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Who like hit Peggy? Yeah, shoved Peggy. Yeah. Yeah, he. You can. He's old. Yeah. You know. Um, I was completely fine with it. It's again, I. I'm in 100%, right? Right. Someone who is told, hey, let's watch this, and they're not that invested, that mm-hmm. would take someone else out of the movie, I think. But yeah. if you are completely invested and you are engulfed in this world already, it's fine. Oh, yeah. And that's how I felt. I mean, like, it didn't take, like, it was, I, I would say it was probably distracting maybe for like 10 seconds. I was like, oof. Ooh, he's old. But I was like, no. Nope. Nope. Oh. Like, right. We're going to, yeah. And then after that, I was fine with the de-aging because then as the story progresses, you could tell they are growing older and then until they don't have to rely on that anymore. Right. Then they can just use makeup to make them look older. Yeah. And, uh, of course, only Pacino, De Niro, and Pesci use the de-aging. Yeah. Uh, everyone else just relied on makeup, wigs, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, I, I it works. Um, it's almost like having Ray Liotta in a scene surrounded by real mob guys. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of doing this new technology surrounded by the, the old techniques. Mm-hmm. It seems to work in a, in a way that it's all going unnoticed. Yeah. It all looks natural. Right. Yeah. So let's we're all along for the ride. And also, I'm sure it was a lot cheaper just to do it for three people instead of, you know, seven. Yeah. Uh, another thing was uh, Robert's blue eyes. Yes. That that again, it took because uh, when we first see Frank, he's got glasses on and you able aviators, dark aviators, and you can't really see the color of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we finally see him again, that I was like, oh, whoa. Robert Nero with blue eyes. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, it's, it's uh, again, I'm really happy I decided to do the series this way. Yeah. That we're ending it with this one. Number one, the story lends itself to, the story is about friendship, loyalty, brotherhood, betrayal. Mm-hmm. But also, this film is about how the decisions you make affect your life and the people in it. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that where Goodfellas Casino has a little bit of that, 
this movie is about that. Yeah, you know, throughout the series with you know with Raging Bull and Goodfellas and at Casino, we do see the choices that these people make, and and it does kind of come back to haunt them, but maybe not necessarily in major ways. Mm-hmm. But with this one, in major ways, you know. Yeah, relationships Scorsese. with. And again, we'll get to the technical stuff because yeah. Scorsese does things that are that are technically meant for you to sit and reflect and and really stay with these decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this has to do with the the car trips, right? Oh yeah, the car trip sequences are meant for you to sit. Right, almost like you're you're in the car with them, and at the very very end, right? Mm-hmm. Again, we're not going to jump ahead, but uh, you know, again, this film is supposed to be very introspective, right? Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when I got to the last fifteen minutes, uh, Ashley wasn't really paying attention at all, um, I, and and Robert starts going into his monologue about it, um, everything. I don't want to give it away yet because I know we're going to talk about it. But I was like, man, this movie just got super existential. Yeah. Um, and and I was in it. I was like, yeah, you know. This yeah, is- this is if Scorsese never made another mob movie, I'm glad this was the last one. Yeah. Because this is about, you know, taking Mean Streets, Goodfellas, Casino, The Departed... Uh, Gangs in New York, uh, all of that, all of those themes, all of those ideas, all of those narratives. This, it's almost like, you know, do you remember all of that? This is what happens after all of that is over. Mm. And this is what happens when all of those decisions have been made and what it means to sit with those decisions, what it means to sit with affecting people's lives the way you have. Yeah. And how it affects you. Right, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I love this movie so 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 much. Yeah, because, I I deeply yeah. regret not watching it when it first came out. Well, um, again, I think that you wouldn't have got as much out of it. I mean, true. I, I now knowing what I know after watching the the three previous movies, I don't I don't think I would have had the same reaction like when when Joe Pesci comes on screen for the first time. Right. I was like, I was like, yeah, Joe. You know, I get goosebumps just thinking about it because I I just, I love Joe Pesci so much. He's mesmerizing in this, and in such a different way than he ever has been. You you know, and let's let's go ahead and segue into Joe. Perfect. Because even though, and I I still hold the statement true, I I said Casino, I think was my favorite. Um, Russell is probably my favorite Joe Pesci performance because. Looking back at, I uh, can't think of his character's name in Raging Bull. Uh, Joey. Joey. Joey, Tommy, and Nikki, they all kind of had a, a thread of, of being hotheads. But then here we have Russell, completely different. The exact opposite. He, he's calm the entire movie. He never once blows up. He never once kills anyone. And I was... Well, not directly. Yeah, not directly. Um, But I was was like, man, how do you go from Nikki, how do you go from this 20 out of a 10 and bring it all the way down to like a Mm 3? And and Joe just... uh, 
I mean, to to make the case in one of the posters, you know, it has like, you know, uh, Al Pacino's on it, and it says like the the mobster, and then on Frank's, uh, it says like the middleman, but on Pesci's uh, for Russell, it says the quiet one, uh-huh. right? Which is which is so interesting to see after you've been following his mm-hmm. career with all the other films he's ever done in this world, in this genre. Mm-hmm. Especially one is not something we would say about him. Yeah, especially with, you know, going back to the fact that last time he worked with Martin was Casino, and Nikki is, fuck this, fuck that, I'll kill you. Yeah. And, and, then, we, and then we get to Russell, and he's like, well, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. You, you tell him, it's how it is. You know. uh, which I should point out, uh, if Ashley's Mima listens to this episode, she hates that saying. Really? It, is, it is what it is. She hates it. No. So anytime someone says it on, on reality TV or an actual TV show, she oh, she's like, oh my God. It's, you know, it's what it is, is, you know, one of those statements in the movie in the context, it's almost as terrifying as when he asks... Um, Henry Hill, funny how, yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's one of those, but it's again in such a different way because he's not a hothead in this one. No, and he and Joe just, you know, sometimes I forget that Joe genuinely is a fantastic actor. I mean, like this series has proven that he is an amazing actor, but he almost got typecast as a hothead because right. you know even in. I mentioned it in the other three episodes. I think it's fair that I mentioned the season finale. Uh, even in uh, Home and not Home Improvement, Home Alone, um, Marv is a hothead. Right. I mean, granted, there are scenes where he's not because that's how it was written. But Marv is a hot. Not, not Marv. Harry. Damn it. Sorry. Harry. Harry is a hothead. Anyway, moving off of Home Alone, uh, but seeing him be just calm and chill the whole movie. It was just, it was almost like a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. and I just, I liked it so much. I'm about to blow your mind with something. I'm ready. In the scene, in the sequence where Frank is um, driving that truck mm-hmm. across the country um, to deliver those guns, right? He has no right. idea what he's doing, but he's delivering guns. Right. Um, Russell says, you're going to meet a fairy named Fairy. Yeah. You're not going to believe this. I don't think you've seen the movie. In JFK, Joe Pesci plays David Fairy. That's, uh, he's a real person. Oh. Um, the reason his eyebrows look weird, he has alopecia, um, which means he cannot grow hair. Uh, so he has um, to right. draw them on. And he was a homosexual. Uh, said to have a hand in the Bay of Pigs and in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. No shit. And um, and Joe Pesci plays David Ferry in JFK. Um, and so it's so fun to hear him, you know. And first off, he's a real person, right, David yeah. Ferry? And so that was cool to see um, him being played by someone else. Man, uh, but also, you... it's something that Joe Pesci has already done, and he's talking. I mean, it was a little, you know, almost like a little nod, like, hey, I, I was David Ferry in the Man, movie, remember? <sighs> Dude, you just need to get off your knees right now because you're just blowing my mind right that's now. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, I hope your so, mom doesn't get mad about that. She's not going to listen to this. Um, she hasn't seen it. 
<laughs> but I, I, you know, again, Pesci is just, you can't take your eyes off him mm-hmm. in this. I mean, no, every man. time he's in a scene, and especially when he's in a scene with De Niro together and they're just talking, you're just like, this is amazing. You know? I know. Man. It's... <sighs> and it'll probably never happen again. I know. Yeah, I read I read a bit of trivia that um, Joe declined supposedly 50 times. It's higher than that. That he... Scorsese like, said the number is much higher than 50. That it's... Uh, that he, he was like, I'm retired. I don't want to do this. Right. I really want to know, though, what they said to him to finally get him who to knows? say yes. You know, who knows? Um, I want to be in the room where it happens. Because they... Um, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Um, because of, I mean, they all knew the story, right? Um, yeah, because I remember read the book. Because Joe, Joe oh, right. said he he read the book a long time like ago, like ten years before they started filming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he had read it, and De Niro had already read it, and uh, I even think Pacino had already read. It. They all knew the story. They all read the book, and they all liked, you know, the the narrative structure and all that stuff, and. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, Pesci, that's just not enough, right? And so it just takes some convincing. And I completely understand. I mean, if you have it set in your mind that you're not going to do this thing anymore, having yeah. someone try to get you to do the thing again is sort of, you know, impossible. Yeah. I mean, and it does. It's a miracle that we got to be in this. Yeah. But I think you're right. I don't, I don't think it'll happen again. It won't happen I, again. I think this is, uh, this is kind of like our farewell to, to Joe Pesci. Because I think that, I mean, we mentioned that already off mic, but even when, you know, in the conversation thing, when they were discussing the de-aging and De Niro makes a joke, it's like, oh, we could be working 30 more years. Uh, Pesci was like, no. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Like, no, thank you. Like, this is it. This is it for Joe. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's a little upsetting, you know, especially because, again... I feel like Joe just gives a powerhouse performance. When we see... I, I remember distinctly watching the film for the first time mm-hmm. and seeing Russell Buffalino in prison after the stroke. I was heartbroken. Mm, oh, yeah, man. To see him like that. And 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 Joe just does a fantastic job With his of... his handshake and the, and the his, other one's his, hucked. Yeah, because you know? he can't move it and he can't really chew anymore. Oh. And it's just... And he does it so well. Um, and it's it's almost, you know, we've been talking about how throughout this series that Martin really likes to <laughs> to show, hey, isn't this fun until it's not? Uh, you know, and, and maybe I'm just reiterating a point now that I'm saying it out loud. But, you know, with this one, it's more Martin's not trying to show. It's like, hey, isn't this fun? It's like, this is what actually happens yeah, to this, these guys in no in nowhere in the film was i like that looks exciting yeah. you know this looks like a lot of fun it's just it, it's almost like a, it's just another job yeah right? you know because you know you know about when when joe's in jail and he had the stroke you know it's watching that scene yeah i, I was with you I, I was heartbroken but the other thing I, that came uh, came across my mind was you know russell on the outside was this very powerful boss but here he is this you know and due to a stroke almost a shell of what he used to be you know and 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 that's how i kind of felt about what martin really was trying to show us with this film is like 
these are real guys and this is what happens to them. With the exception of, you know, in the book, they theorize what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, really, I mean, it can't be proven. So we we still kind of really don't know. But so, I think if we were going to have an answer, this is the best one. So if anyone doesn't know, because I do agree with the line th- uh, that Frank says that kids today, they don't know who he is. I do 100% agree with that. Um, so if anyone doesn't know, Jimmy Hoffa was... A, uh, a a union president for his local union. And at one time, the most well-known person mm-hmm. in the world. And suddenly... At least in the United States. Suddenly, in 1975, he just disappeared. I mean, obviously, he probably was killed. Um, being the president of a local union tends I mean, to... Well, and, you know... Yeah, it's more likely he was killed. Was it by the mob? Frank? And it, did Frank do it? I don't know. You know, yeah. uh, it's plausible, um, especially after he um, assaults Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, can we just give a huge shout out to Stephen Graham? Dude, Stephen Graham is the fucking man, dude. Um, if you haven't seen Boardwalk Empire, <gasps> as, um, as uh, Al Capone. I love the reveal that he's Al Capone because he's just talking to Jimmy Dormady, right? And they're just they're chatting, and um, their bosses uh, come out of the the hotel, and he goes, "Oh, it was nice talking to you. I'm Jimmy Dormady." And he goes, "Al Capone," right? And, and you're like, like "Oh, oh shit!" Yeah, dude. Stephen Graham is and the fact that he's British. Uh, his accents are so impressive. Yeah, especially with this one. Um, but anyway, so yeah. Anyways, Jimmy Hoffa disappeared in 1975. Declared dead seven years later in 1982, and no one has found his body since. Uh, and likely, we will probably never find his body. Uh, every once in a while, I have to give tours of the Midland College campus uh-huh. where I work, and uh, I always Don't tell me you. I always tell if their parents are with them, I'll tell them that Jimmy Hoffa is said to be buried underneath <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the Chap Center. Um, <laughs> One of the many jokes I provide uh, during uh, my awesome. tours. And I'm assuming probably none of them... The parents get it. Uh, yeah, but I'm a, I'm sure none of the students are like... No. Like Jimmy Hoffa. No. <laughs> See, and again, I, I 100% agree with that statement that no one knows who he is. It's even part of the narrative when the nurse, you know, doesn't recognize Jimmy Hoffa in the picture. Yeah, and, and then he's like, you don't know who that is? And then she's like... Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. She's like, yeah, you got yeah, me. you got me. I don't know who that is. Right. And it's it's almost, a again, a representation of everything that made him important is gone. Mm-hmm. Right? In everything. Yeah. Not just Jimmy Hoffa, but, I mean, his family's gone. Russ is gone. Everybody's gone. Right? And, again, we're going to get there. But um, that was one of the moments that... You know, it really it's supposed sank. to make you go, wow, he is alone, mm-hmm. right? And oh, not, yeah. And not just alone, you know, in terms of, you know, having people around him anymore, but in terms of just that little thing where someone else can be like, oh, I know who that is, right? And sort of help you reminisce, that's gone. Yeah. Right? Um, he is... He is one of the last people to know who that is. 
Right. And it's sad. Oh, yeah. Right? Again, you, this movie is very sad. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ending shot, which we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, that ending shot, I was just like, oh, my God. So now that we're talking about um, Hoffa, let's talk about Pacino. Dude, I would love to talk for three hours about Al Pacino because Al can do no wrong. Okay. And especially this comes off of I just recently, well, not recently, uh, about a month or two ago, as you know, I saw Insomnia. Oh, yeah. And Al was phenomenal in it. I mean, again, I don't think, just like De Niro, I don't think Al can make a bad movie. And of course, I am um, wiping the slate of uh, Jack and Jill. All right. Um, <clears throat> I can't believe he agreed to do that. Yeah. But, um, but Al, dude. <sighs> And again, it was what he was part of that. That you know, it's like okay, Al, you got to get out of the chair faster because you're forty in this scene. You know what I mean? And Al's like, I'm almost eighty years old. Yeah, he's like I'm seventy eight. You know what I mean? Like I can't, you know. But he's like, gotta get out of that chair faster. Let's go. You know. And um, of course, you know. I just want to say this before we really get into Al's performance. You know, all these guys are still doing great for their age. Oh, even yeah. even Martin watching the conversation. So I should also mention, when I was watching that, I never knew that's how Martin Scorsese sounded. Oh, really? I've never heard his voice before. Oh, that's interesting. Um, And so hearing him talk, I was like, wow, that's not what I was expecting at all. But at the same time, it it fits with him. Um, But I was watching them. I was like, man, they they all look great for their age. Yeah. Um, And even Martin, you know, like, because they were showing some of the behind the scenes footage. And I was like, man. Homie's almost 80 years old, and he's still having fun making movies. Here's... And we're going to get back to Al Pacino in just a second. Um, I really wish I had you watch two other movies. Uh-huh. Um, who's That Knocking at My Door in Main Streets? Just so you can get just as excited when you saw Harvey Keitel. Because oh, Harvey dude. Keitel has been working with him since the 60s. Dude. And so seeing... Just knowing <clears throat> that they got to work together again... And again, this film is about the 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 buildup of these relationships and them sort of falling apart and going away and you know dissipating or whatever mm-hmm. um, is a lot of the big theme of the film. And you know, seeing him work with his friends again yeah. is so cool. And especially, you know, Harvey Keitel is one of the first ones that he ever worked with. And uh, he's been in a ton of his other movies, but this yeah. was a big deal. Yeah, man. But it just, I don't know. It just kind of made me feel really good because, like, I don't know. Like, I was like, man, you know, here, you know, like, Martin is almost 80, but he's having fun. Yeah. Doing what he loves. Um, but anyway, back to Al. Right. Al Pacino. All right. Did he, did Al do this before or after Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Before, right? Yeah, probably, because it took him about two years to shoot. To shoot The Irishman? Yeah. No shit. Yeah, so it took him a while uh, to make the movie, but uh, yeah, it would have it had to have been before. So so they filmed this in 2017? Started, yeah. And then didn't release it until 2019? It takes a while. God damn. Well, yeah. yeah, especially with all the de-aging, they had to really make sure, I'm sure that they... Yeah. Um... Okay, I was just curious about that because I mean, again, Al does great in that. So, yeah, Al's um, Al really captures Jimmy Hoffa very, very well. 
and I, you know, obviously down to the accent, uh, which mm-hmm. um, it was fun because, you know, um, Pacino, Pesci, they're really just speaking with their own accents, right? They're not they're not acting with their accents. Yeah. Um, but uh, Pacino, since, again, Jimmy Hoffa is just so well-known and so well-documented mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, obviously in between takes, he would sit and listen to Jimmy Hoffa talk. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to recordings because there are hours and hours of footage and recordings and things like that of Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, you know, I, I really like what Al says during the conversation is he's like, you know, usually in you know pictures like this, you would sit down with these guys. He's like, but we can't do that. He's like, so the best I could do was just listen to his voice. And you know, it really tells you what comparatively what a hard time. Pesci and De Niro had because at least Jimmy Hoffa was unbelievably famous and well documented, mm-hmm. right? As These were other guys weren't. Yeah, Frank Sheeran and uh, Buffalino. Nope. Yeah. Now I do have a question before we continue sure. with Al. I meant to ask this at the beginning when we started recording. Um, the book. Mm-hmm. Did the author sit down with Frank, or did he just did he just write this book? Great question. I have no idea. Based on all the reports, I don't know. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, know I probably I meant to look it up, but I was playing Spider-Man. I was hoping uh, Nicholas Pileggi was the author of the book, and he wasn't, but he is an executive producer yeah, in this that. one. Yeah. Um, so that's three in a row that he is uh, that he's been a part of. Um, and also, all four of these are true stories. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, I mean, yeah. Casino's a stretch, right? But yeah. the other ones, yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so yeah, Al, dude, I, and I really love how we see Jimmy begin to almost deteriorate, deteriorate, mm-hmm. um, from the most powerful man in America, besides the president, right, to this very paranoid and yeah, hot headed. Yeah. It is a it is a rise and fall, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't get to see the rise. We just we are stuck right in the middle of it, right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. And what what I really liked was his relationship with Frank and his family, mm-hmm. right? Again, we're going to get to Peggy because Peggy is an extremely important character yeah. for not really being in the movie that much. Yeah, and I have a, I have I have things to say about the adult actress because. Who plays um, Peggy? Because Peggy is the personification of the negative impact that Frank is making on his life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason... Something about Jimmy Hoffa. Right. It's something about Jimmy Hoffa that she... It's almost like she can see right through Russ. She can see right through Frank. But she can't quite see right through Jimmy Hoffa. Mm-hmm. It's almost like she's like, that's the father figure I want. Because... Russ is a murderer and so is my dad right Mm -hmm. you know and she's just so cautious and skeptical of the other two that it somehow makes Jimmy Hoffa seem like a saint yeah right Um, but of course Jimmy Hoffa was a family guy also you know he you know he really missed being a dad it seemed Mm -hmm. and so when he met Frank he got to really you know be a dad again with Peggy and the other children right yeah Um, but I I do really like the way that they put Peggy 
uh, in the narrative. Yeah, because because <laughs> the other daughters, <laughs> we don't really know. No. But Peggy, and the only other daughter we really see is Connie. I don't know. Yes, because I looked it up. Okay. Um, but even then, Connie. I mean, had, he calls them all by name at the uh, banquet. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, and <sighs> great on Ra- great on Martin for getting really good actresses, but <laughs> they almost seem like a moot point because. None of the other daughters really have a personality, and I have more to say about the adult actress who plays Peggy. Her name but, is Anna Paquin. Yes, uh, I mean not not no, nothing negative, but we'll get there. Well, because you know, I, I, I would have agreed with you first mm-hmm. um, because Peggy is <sighs> Peggy is supposed to remind you Frank's a bad guy. Right. Yeah. And again, like I said, she's the personification of his bad decisions mm-hmm. and the negative impact it has, um, which we can kind of see with other people. But with Peggy, it's just right there in front of you. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it very interesting that Peggy really doesn't talk. <laughs> so that, that was mainly the point. That I was she has no up. lines, right? right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Anna Paquin has some lines. She Anna Paquin has two. Two. Yeah. Uh, child Peggy has like three or four. That's it. Um, and yeah, that was just really the point I was going to bring up is that like, okay. <laughs> I feel like I've said this on the podcast before. Or if not, I think I'm sure I've told you. Um, I think Anna Paquin is just an okay actress. Mm-hmm. I, I truly don't think that she is like, like the epitome of female actresses. They're way better female actresses than her. But, um, so when I saw that she was on the cast list, I was like, okay, cool, okay. It'd be nice to see her other than True Blood, because right. Ashley's been watching True Blood. And so oh, I, I hate True Blood so much. I catch a few episodes, I'm like, this is awful. It's really bad. Anyway, um, so I was like, okay, it'd be nice to, to finally see her in something that's not X-Men or True Blood. Oh, so you were just excited to see, and then it turns out the next thing you see her in... She says she says nothing. She and says I'm like, nothing. That's fine. I'm like, well, come on. Yeah. And right, so that that's your. Uh, that's that my was own your personal hang Yeah, up. that was your expectations. Yeah, uh, not being met. Uh, well, but but it was also Martin Scorsese, so it's like, oh, dude, he's probably gotten like a great. I mean, I do agree with everything you're saying. That Peggy is meant to show, remind us, the audience, Frank's not a good person. But it did bother me that she doesn't talk. Yeah. At all. But then, of course... I think it's an interesting choice. But again, now kind of getting this all out, maybe that's how Frank remembers it. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, as when the news breaks that Jimmy's disappeared, and he says, well, I need to call Joe. I should call Joe. Um, And she's like, why? Oh, that's right. That that was her line. She goes, why? Why what? And you could tell she wants to ask, because she probably, she knows. But she says, why haven't you called Joe? And he goes, I'm, I'm going to call her. I'm going to call her. And then he says, after that day, she stopped talking to me. So maybe this is Frank remembering now it that way. Now, that's an interesting interpretation. because she really never has talked. I had a similar interpretation when we did We Need to Talk About Kevin about his T-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. That she remembers the T-shirts he wore as a kid, but not when he was a teenager. And so 
that she is superimposing the t-shirts onto his... Even though he's probably wearing just a normal t-shirt. Right. Uh, of course, that was just my interpretation. But I, I like that you're saying that he really doesn't remember any good times with Peggy. Therefore, they must have all been bad. Mm-hmm. So let me remember it that way. Um, I mean, and that could be wrong. Maybe Peggy oh, just... I like that. Because the only times we hear child Peggy talk is when she's forced to talk by Frank, you know, like during Christmas. Um, when he's trying to get her to say... Th- thank you twice to Russell right. and he's like yeah, she said it once it's okay and then when she's giving her speech at school about Jimmy Hoffa that's right um, but other than that child Nothing. Peggy doesn't really talk no well, uh, I, I'm sorry I remember just one when she knows Frank is about to go do a hit mm. and he's leaving she's like where are you going that's right and he says oh, I gotta go to work go back to bed and yeah I mean I, again I just had that thought uh, oh, yeah, that's an interesting interpretation. I kind of like that. Um, okay. I want to talk about the music. Yeah. Because the music is different mm-hmm. in this Scorsese film. Now, because in places it's exactly the same. So, very fast-paced. Uh, cue music score. You know, it's a popular song from the time. We mm-hmm. know this. We know this pattern. The way it's so interesting and the way he does it this time is there are moments in this film where it's all gone. Yeah. The action, the music cue, the violence, gone. Mm-hmm. And again, this has to do with the theme of introspection and uh, this. And in some points, it's just leading up to dread. Right. Yeah. Um, and now we can talk about the car trip. So when I started when I started the movie, um, you know, we get that great tracking shot of the the retirement home and Frank starts narrating. I I genuinely thought the whole movie was just gonna be him narrating the events of the movie, but we're just focused on the car trip. And I was like, oh dude, I'm so here for this. Yeah. Granted, the movie seeing the movie now, um, that's how it had to be done is how it, it was but I was like man if this this is just the whole movie this car trip this three day car trip hell yeah um cause I really I really like those moments of the car trip yeah and so the, again the car trip is kind of mundane almost boring right cause nothing's yeah. really happening I mean yes they're doing some you know business on but, the way but they're stopping every seem like five minutes for a smoke break right cause uh, Russell doesn't want anyone smoking in the car and um and and I love hang on I just want to talk about that when Carrie Russell's wife gives him no choice but to make Frank stop um because I was sitting there watching the scene and she's like well I gotta smoke He's like, well, you know, my cataracts, just wait. And she lights up a cigarette, and then the very next scene is they're stopped. And why I loved it so much is because if that had been Nikki or Tommy, oh, you better believe he would have blown up. But he doesn't. He obviously probably tells Frank, pull over. Pull over. Right. No, and, you're exactly right. It, it, again, it's this sort of uh, this new Pesci that we're getting mm-hmm. that is just again remarkable. I love it. And yeah, it, but it, but anyway, uh, I do I do really like all the the road trip scenes, 
and then when they turn on us, when we when we kind of finally catch up to right. So after the banquet, yeah, we catch up. Right, um, the the wedding had already been planned, uh, the road trip had been planned, um, the hit on Hoff has been planned. Right, mm-hmm. uh, the person who doesn't really notice all of these things are connecting is Frank until until it's too late. Too late, um, and so. Once we are in that last bit of, we've caught up, mm-hmm. and now um, there is no more reminiscing yeah. because we're caught up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the events of the movie have merged, and we're in the, and so now we have stopped doing flashbacks. Next, yeah, now we're now we're just going forward. There is no music. Right now we are. Focused. The audience is focused on this this car trip, but we don't know why yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has to mean something because Scorsese wouldn't show us anything that doesn't matter. Yeah. And so them at the pool, right, just talking, right. Them at in the hotel room. Them at the 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 dining. Apparently hall. in the in the, in the kitchen of the hotel. Right. Um, they're 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 talking. They're having conversations that are sort of in code, yeah. right? And once they are in the car together, going to the airport, it's over. Yeah. And again, still no music until it's all done. Until he gets back in the car. So, which you know, again, I love the the idea of him hopping on a plane. Flying to Detroit, killing Hoffa, flying back, and Russell hasn't moved. Yeah, when when he steps off the plane after the hit is done, I was like, has, has he just been waiting there? Which means it didn't take that long, right? Yeah. Um, so again, this build up, this uh, and this sort of sitting with the events that have taken pl- taken place so far, with mm-hmm. the introspections and the th- this reminiscing of. The choices Frank has made mm-hmm. thus far, and leading him up to murdering his best friend because his other best friend said so. Yeah. Right. And again, we already know all of this, and that we know all of this was going to happen this way because of how Frank is at the very beginning talking about the war. You know, you follow orders. You don't ask why. You know, mm-hmm. and after a while, you don't even have to say anything. You just they just say hurry up, and you know exactly what that means, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he says, if you do a good job, you get rewarded. And so when when Pesci when Russ says, I had to put you in this thing, or else you'll never let it happen, means you're gonna do the hit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, just like it is what it is, means <laughs> you're out, right? Yeah. You're you're at you're no longer connected to the Philadelphia mob, right? Yeah, which you know I want to talk about that just really quickly. Sure. Um, the is what there these line that line because at the banquet, you know Jimmy is kind of causing a bit of a ruckus um, with everyone, making waves when Frank pretty much told him to make peace. Um, and then when when Russell tells him like you got to tell him it's what it is, as soon as he says it, you know this look on Al's face, how Al 
does it is so great and he immediately knows what he's talking about because his next line is they wouldn't dare and uh dude as soon as he said that i was like oh fuck yeah so if if hoffa had just said fine movie's over right Um, roll credits right but the the fact that he just won't let it go and mm-hmm. he's demanding this and demanding that causing problems for the mob and, and Philly it's and Russ yeah it's done it's over and so but again the way Scorsese structures the narrative to we're reminiscing we're back in the car trip we're at the old folks home reminiscing car trip old folks right where we keep mm-hmm. jumping to these three things until they merge together because eventually this road trip is going to merge into the old folks home yeah and then we're stuck right no more again the exact same pattern no more reminiscing no more music right mm-hmm. we're going to get to that um a few more things about the 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 road trip um is I mean, it, the power of it is in its in its mundane presentation, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't know how you felt when you were watching it, um, because again, all of this is retrospective. You have to go back and watch it to understand its importance, right? Because when you're in it the first time, you're just like, can they just get to it already? <laughs> you know, and um. And then once you watch the movie again, you realize that the second shot of the movie, mm-hmm. um, right after De Niro says, I started painting houses myself, he shoots Pacino. That's Pacino getting shot in the back of the head. Oh. That's his blood hitting the wall. That's him killing Hoffa. <laughs> oh, and so, shit. Um, Should have saved that mind-blowing joke for that. <laughs> we, from the very beginning are given these cues uh, clues in, in, in these in these sort of uh, you know I guess uh, I don't know how you would say it but you know um, unconscious things oh, to um, keep in our brains to say this is how the narrative's gonna go oh, shit. but we're not there yet I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of the not the exact word but I but you know it is this sort of subliminal Maybe Um, was the word you were looking for. Yeah, maybe. Um, It's brilliant. Oh yeah. Um, I was talking with Zach. uh, My shout out to my boy Zach. um, Talking to him the other day about it because he was rewatching it in preparation for our show. Mm -hmm. And he was saying, you know, one of his favorite moments in the film is the very beginning, as soon as he says the words "painted houses," and he goes, "Oh, and that guy gets shot." That's when I noticed. Oh, he didn't notice either, right? That that's Hoffa. And that's Frank pulling the trigger, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's such a brilliant way. And it happens so fast that you don't notice. Yeah, right? yeah. Because it never... Because it... we haven't met him yet. We're, we're not there yet. We actually mm-hmm. don't meet Hoffa until 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's so brilliant the way that he, he structures everything together. Mm-hmm. And everything connects. And eventually we're going to end up in this in this point in Frank's life to where it all comes to a head and all of this stuff impacts his life right mm-hmm. for good or bad oh yeah 
Yeah. Um, I've obviously thought a lot about this. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Uh, yeah, man, it's... <sighs> and again, a lot of this has to do with the, the Cinefix um, YouTube channel uh, video that came out about a year ago that I watched it and I was completely blown away by it and I was like, I have to watch this movie again because of the way they were... You know, laying it all out, and so we'll mm-hmm. put that in the on the website. Yes, uh, it'll be under the uh, visual aids. Everyone will put that video up, and so really, a lot of this stuff that I'm saying, I learned from them. So um, I learned from watching you. Yeah, I learned from watching Cinefix. So uh, <laughs> Cinefix is an amazing YouTube channel. We've mentioned him before, but anyway. Um, yeah, and man, you know, we've been we've really been talking about it, and. Um, when we get when we get post the death of Jimmy Hoffa um, is when we really get this introspection from all of our characters, especially between Russ and Frank when they're when they're in jail together, uh, eating the bread and having grape juice because they couldn't have wine. Right. Um, and I just love what Russell says. I never wanted it to go like that, you know. And, and especially he never he didn't want Frank to have to be the one. To carry it out. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not just Frank that's living with these regrets. It's Russ mm-hmm. also, right? And Russ is being very genuine when he says that. He is honest. He's, I didn't really want it to go like that, but it had to. Mm-hmm. And Frank understands. Again, it's this sort of, it's like being in the Army. It's like being in war, yeah. right? Yeah, and man, and how Pesci delivers it to, it's... Because we're, you know, we're finally seeing a very, well, I wouldn't say genuine. Russ has actually been very genuine the whole movie. But this very sullen version of Russ that we hadn't seen in the film yet. Because, you know, it was him who introduced Jimmy and Frank. And, you know, even when they're talking at the banquet, Russ keeps telling him, like, you uh, pretty much, you got to stop. Like, just calm down. Let me handle it. I will make sure, like, this is all good. If you don't calm down, and it's just... Uh. You know, and a, a lot of what Frank is dealing with is also being just the guy in the middle. Yeah. You know, because, yes, he is the bodyguard and friend of Jimmy Hoffa, but he's also connected to the mob with Russ. Mm-hmm. And so there are scenes where he's talking to Hoffa, smash cut... To him talking with Russ and just trying to make peace, so but also betraying some confidence. So I want to say in the in the process, I I found that sequence. I know it wasn't really intended to be, but I found it very comedic. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I was like, man, that's such high school bullshit right there. <laughs> like, like you tell him, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I love how they always kept using the the pronoun someone pan over to Frank and he's like oh fuck like <laughs> you know someone should talk to him yeah yeah I know and no that's what you know and that's Frank's burden mm-hmm. you know especially in the second half of the film is being this yeah. guy in the middle yeah trying to broker this piece and eventually he's the one to make that piece happen yeah. in a sense right yeah dude I I'm gonna be real I didn't think he was going to go through with it when he when he kills Jimmy. And it's so fast. And again, it's the fact that we're not using music cues. Yeah. And 
and the violence is so fast and it happens so fast that you're just like whoa he's gone you know Toph is dead yeah yeah I wasn't I really I was genuinely just like he's not gonna do it he's not gonna do it and someone else is good because I mean obviously Hoffa has to die because he he is dead in real life um but I was like Frank Frank's not gonna be able to do it and they're gonna have to get someone else to kill to kill Hoffa and then I was like but that wouldn't make sense then because then Frank would be dead because he didn't do it and yeah it's so quick because because even Jimmy knows something's up when they walk in the house no one's in there all right Frank let's go and then boom done yeah it's over um I you know I can't believe we haven't mentioned it yet but it is my favorite maybe my favorite thing about the movie especially the first go around when you know you're not hip to all of this you know uh all of these narrative structures and things like that, you know, the the meanings behind them, mm-hmm. you're just looking at it for face value. And that is the everybody's introduction is how they die. Yeah. Um, instead of who they are, right? Instead of, you know, like this is this is so and so, this is how they're connected to the story, this is, you know, who they are in the mind. It's how they die. Yeah. In the year they die. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Uh, and only one of them was old age. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was. Uh, yeah, it was like. Yeah, it, it was, was like, one of the guys with pro, and it was saying like this guy was liked by all, died uh, of natural causes in two thousand one or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's the longest anyone's lived in this movie because <laughs> yeah. the other ones are shot five times in the face in seventy five. You know. Or yeah, shot in the back of the head six times nineteen eighty. Yeah, it's they're all like that, and it's almost to tell you. To your point, uh, with Goodfellas Casino, see how much fun they're having? Uh-huh. This is how it ends always, yeah. you know, for these guys. Um, these guys don't live... Long and happy lives. No, these guys don't live long enough to die of a disease or old age. Mm-hmm. These guys die for the cause, always. Yeah. You know, and it, it's it's sort of striking. It's again telling you this stuff that we already know from the other films, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could not get enough of it. Even even Kennedy had one, uh, the father. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even when he got we, one. You know, <laughs> you know, and I want to. I do want to talk about that really quickly. Um, Jack Houston, right? Mm-hmm. Play, um, I love that guy. Yeah. Also in Boardwalk Empire. Amazing in Boardwalk Empire. Yes. Um, but hearing him talk as Bobby, and he kills it yeah, as Bobby Kennedy. Um, I was like, I, like I just I forget that he's British because he just he does such a oh, good is job. He also, mm-hmm. that's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, he was in that really terrible remake of Ben Hur. I didn't say that. Neither did I. I just saw the trailer and I was like, "This looks awful. Why are they remaking it?" Yeah, but he is amazing. He yeah, was, um, Jack Houston is amazing. Yeah, Jack Houston. I my my one little tick with the movie is I do wish we would have gotten a little bit more Jack Houston, but well, but I also understand that Bobby Kennedy wasn't integral to the story just for that right moment. I mean, he, he was, but but for yeah for the that. 20, 30 minutes of the film, he's the most, he's very important. But then after that, he wasn't attorney general for very long. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I do like, I do like the line that Jimmy Hoffa says, like, Oh, so how do you, uh, how do you feel about Bobby Kennedy now? I feel like he's just another lawyer now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause they were like, how do you feel about the assassination of Kennedy? He goes, uh, Bobby Kennedy is just another lawyer now. 
you know, and it's like, damn, yeah, that's rough. Yes, you know, and, and I and I really liked that because, um, again, as I've mentioned uh, on the podcast, I am a history buff. I love history, um, and it was very interesting to see uh, this performance of an actor playing a person who didn't like uh, JFK, you know, and especially considering JFK is, was probably one of the most beloved presidents of our history and is, in my opinion, very romanticized in film, film and TV. Uh, It was, again, very refreshing to see someone who's like, no, fuck him. I never supported him. Fuck him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like when he keeps his flag full mast. Ooh, that was. Uh, I know, and you could tell everyone was like, "Jimmy, no, 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 no." no, 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 no. It's like, which I, I love, you know. Again, a little suspension of disbelief. The CGI is not great. Um, uh, for the flag. Yeah, but yeah. I loved that it's filmed in a way to where behind you you can see at least three other flagpoles, and they're that all are half mast. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, you know, again, this movie has so much to offer, and I think that people you know, we'll just shrug it off as just another mob movie, which it's not. I was right? telling Ashley that. I was like, yeah. I'm like, you gotta watch this with me. She's like, oh, I'm just not really into mob movies. I'm like, it's not, This is though. the furthest thing that you can get from I'm a like, mob movie. I was like, yes, it, 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 we're dealing with the mob, but it's... <laughs> to me, and this is a stretch, it's more of a political drama. I mean, like I said, it's a yeah. stretch. Yeah. I mean, because they're not it's not really politics per se but well it is the, the inner working politics it is sort of because when I think political drama I think you know modern political dramas you know okay. I, I think of because this is more of a historical it, it has an historical context because it's already happened right right right, right and right. so but I see your point it's not a straight up mob movie mm-hmm. right I mean yes it is connected with the mafia and with and, organized and, crime and, and yeah we get a lot of like, all right, I need you to go right. take care of him. But th- at its core, that's, that's not what the movie is, you know? Um, especially, I'm trying to th- really think, especially with um, all the all the courtroom scenes. I mm-hmm. really feel like the courtroom scenes adds to my whole, it's a political drama. And I also, I'd like to point out, seeing Ray Romano... Mm. <laughs> And seeing him really act, I thought he was brilliant. Yeah, I, I yeah, thought he was great. Ray Romano's fantastic. Um, I think, again, um, my point, like with Joe, I think Ray is very, uh, he's taken for granted with his acting abilities because of his show, Everyone Loves Raymond. Everybody Loves Raymond. Um, I think people forget that he <laughs> he can really act. Uh, and he did such a good job in this. Uh, and I even forgot that he was in it when he popped up. Because he, he's not uh, carrying himself the way that you're probably used to if you've seen Everybody Loves Raymond. It's not until you hear his voice, you're like, oh, that's Ray Romano. Uh, yeah, I just had to throw that out because uh, I thought that was great. Um, and also, uh, Bobby Cavallari. Oh, Cannavale. Cannavale, yeah. I love Bobby. Um, again, another another actor from uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yep. Um, that uh, Boardwalk Empire thing was the first thing I've ever seen him in. Um, 
and I and I love how we how we're introduced to him as a younger man, and then when we get his official introduction, he's already kind of aged a little bit. And uh, and I love how without saying it, how he gets the nickname Razor. And uh, and I just love I just love his. His name is Razor. His name is Razor. Yeah, 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 Razor. But they don't. But no one calls him that. They just call him Skinny the whole movie. But anyway, uh, I just had to throw the. I just had to give a little, some shout outs to to Ray and Bobby. Oh yeah, Bobby kind of always fantastic. Um, um, yeah, a lot of Boardwalk actors are in yeah, this. Yeah, alum uh, is in this film. I know. Uh, I, I I won't lie. I was half expecting Steve Buscemi just to show yeah, just, up. Yeah, look, there's Steve Buscemi. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. But yeah, man. Um. All right. So now that we are getting there, yeah. let's talk about the end. The end. Oh, dude, the end. The end broke me. Yeah. Um, I felt like I really, truly, honestly felt like I was like, if I was in a completely dis- different emotional state, I probably would have sobbed. Yeah. Hysterically. It's, it's one of those that... Again, just like the car trip, we merge, Mm -hmm. right, to where there's nothing else left to talk about from the past because we've caught up. Right. Same thing with this one. So the road trip does merge with the retirement home. Mm -hmm. And, And then we get, again, just like the road trip, no more music, no more action, and no more violence. Yeah. All of his mob friends are dead, right? Yep. His family won't speak to him. Yeah, which that that was the only true scene of the movie that I was like, uh, I was really okay with Anna Paquin not talking because how because you know he goes to the bank to see her, and I, I didn't realize that's what he was there for right, right, until right. he starts to walk up to her. I was like, oh, he's trying to talk to Peggy, and she just puts a this window is closed and walks away, and he's like, and it just. It really broke me. Yeah. It's um, devastating. And then he starts making his final arrangements. Yep. Buys his own coffin. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is sad. Right. Yeah. Um, which, you know, <sighs> that scene is really powerful. I honestly, honest to God, I really felt like it would have been much more powerful. They have a they had a different person playing the salesman. Oh, I, I recognize the salesman. That's Action Bronson. He's a rapper. Um, I honest to God, I was like, he does not work in this. Like they should have gotten someone else. If they wanted, if they wanted someone who was a little recognizable, they should have gone with someone else. Now it's nothing against Action Bronson because. Um, in uh, the King of Staten Island, he he shows up in it, and he's hysterical. Uh, he clearly has been shot, but he refuses to tell Pete Davidson that he's been shot. That's why. And he's like, "No, no, man, it's all it's all good. Just, can you help me to get to a hospital?" And Pete's like, "You're bleeding out," and he's like, "No, it, it's it's all right, man." And but you 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 seeing him in this <clears throat> um, was. I, I just I felt like it was out of place. I know who he was, so I just felt like it was kind of out of place a little bit. I, see. Um, I mean, he he did he. I mean, Action Bronson did a really good job of not necessarily commanding the the scene, but really, really keeping. I'm a coffin salesman. This is how I got to be. I just I really felt like if maybe they did like. 
let me think of uh, an actor I think who could really have done that. Um, maybe that would have been a good moment for maybe Ray Liotta. Okay. I think I think Ray just as a cough as just as a uh, a, a coffin salesman. I think Ray would have done a really good job. Maybe now that I say maybe Ray Liotta, maybe I'm thinking maybe Martin didn't want someone super famous for that. Yeah, because you're only going to be in it for five minutes. Right, right. We're going to talk to Robert De Niro. That's it. So I don't know. Yeah, Ray Liotta would have been cool in this. Um, I don't think that obviously the movie isn't less than without. No, 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 not at all. I'm just saying that that in that particular scene, I don't think Action Bronson was the. uh, I see. The best person to play that. I will say though, that's a dope ass green coffin that he picked out. Yeah. Um, and again, it's sort of meant for you to feel just so bad for him because yeah. um, he has a um, a twenty four hour nurse or something, whoever mm-hmm. that guy driving is. him everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, um, helping him in and out of the car in the wheelchair with his crutches. Um, when he gets uh, that interview with the FBI, is that who that is? Uh, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you, you see one of the guy's badges. I'm pretty sure it's FBI. And it's, you know, that's when you kind of realize... That and, he really is all alone. Because even they explicitly say, everyone's dead. Like, Pro is dead. Russell's dead. Everybody's dead. Like, who are you still protecting? Right. And, you know... His still defiance to not say anything is, you know, respectable. But uh, then we get to, you know, um, him trying to find reconciliation, you know, mm-hmm. uh, with the priest. It, even that doesn't work. Yeah, I, I do. I do like what the priest says is like, you know, we can still be sorry if we don't feel sorry. And he's and you can kind of tell that Frank is really thinking about that. But he I think Frank genuinely at this point, he he does want to feel sorry, but he can't, and he doesn't know why. You know, maybe that's just how I read the scene, but I, I, that's how I kind of read it: is that he's like, I I want to feel sorry, but I don't. Right. You know, um, and that scene is really that, that's part of the <laughs> that this beautiful monologue that he gives about the finality of of death. Uh, where I was like, man, this movie got super existential. Yeah, and um, and again, it's it was all leading up to that because mm-hmm. um, we got a little taste of that with the road trip, mm-hmm. and now that we are really caught up, and there really is nowhere else to go but forward, um, because we've gone through everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, we know who Frank is and how he is, the way he is. You know, and. The, the the scene with one of his other daughters really helps, which um, it was really bothering me. I was like, that actress looks so familiar. Uh, she was in the second season of The Umbrella Academy. Um, but that scene with Connie, I believe that's the daughter, you know, she tells him, like, Dad, we were scared of you, pretty much. And I think that really sinks into him, like, because... I think he'd been just carrying around like, oh, I, I just wasn't a good dad. But when she says we were all scared of you, I think that really sinks in. Like, oof. Yeah, because I think maybe he just thought, you know, he wasn't seeing things for how they actually were, obviously. Because mm-hmm. 
he just assumed that you know he was absent yeah. or he thought he was doing a good job at hiding it also and it turns out no yeah. you know they they all knew to be afraid of him because he gave them reason to be afraid of him and yeah. um and then once we get to that final shot of oh, um, we do jump, and it's a really cool time jump. Yeah, I really love that. That was really uh, cool. The nurse walking out into the hallway, turning back around. And it's And dark. it's been years. Yeah. You know, and um, him asking to leave the door cracked, and us just sitting there looking at him through the crack in the door until mm-hmm. we cut to black and it's over. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Ooh, it's very powerful to see that because, again, it's this... We're holding on him for a reason. We're, we're, we're seeing him through this cracked door for a reason. Uh, nothing is by accident. And, you know, filling in the interpretations however you'd like, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's the, you know, the culmination of his bad decisions and yeah. his... That he, he truly is alone. Right. Which, I mean, if anyone listening, I, I know we've probably said that like four or five times now, but... In this final shot, we finally, we truly understand Frank's all alone. Um, you know, and uh, I I read the final shot of him wanting to leave the door open a little bit as he's hoping maybe someone will walk through the door. Oh, that's a good interpretation. They would see him in the crack and be like, Frank, you know, but... I, I also thought of it as sort of a, it's, you know, he's not completely alone if the door's open. Mm. The, the, the world can kind of be in Right. A bit. He can see people in the hallway, you know? Yeah. Um, again, yeah. it's devastating. <laughs> Dude, it... And it's the perfect end... It, to not only this film but the series that we've done yeah because this is if we kept going with casino or if we kept going with goodfellas this is how these people end up yeah uh yeah man like i said if i was in a different emotional state i probably would have sobbed like a little girl um because it, it is a very devastating end. But like when it ended, I sat up because I, I was laying on the couch. I sat up and I was like, "Wow, yeah, wow." Um, and you know, I I really feel like the message that Martin was trying to get across with this film, you know, and I know we've said it multiple times, where the other films are like, "Hey, doesn't this look fun?" Until it's not. But this one, it's really like, you know, reflect on yourself. Like if you feel, if you feel like you've wronged someone, reflect on it and see why you feel like that. I'm, I don't know. Maybe again, maybe I'm reading too much into the ending because, because the ending I do feel like is just a smidge ambiguous. You know, mm-hmm. uh, especially because as we've said throughout the series, Martin Scorsese, just like other directors doesn't do anything without purpose um he didn't do it because oh yeah this would be a cool shot he did it because there's a reason behind it but it is a little ambiguous you know we see jimmy uh, we see frank through the crack in his door and we just kind of do a slow zoom out cut to black directed by martin scorsese right um and i and i do like both of our theories 
that yeah. mine of maybe he's just hoping someone will walk through the door or uh, yours of he's kind of just that he can still see out through the door. Um, whoever, I mean, regardless of what it, what the ending truly means, uh, I honestly feel like this was a very, out of this whole series, this one was probably the, in my opinion, the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. And not, not in terms of how shot in terms of the storytelling. Right. It was just a very beautiful story. And, you know, we've said it multiple times throughout the episode, but a story of friendship and loyalty and betrayal. And it was just, it was just, it was damn good, man. Again, if it's the last mob movie he ever makes, that's fine. Yeah. I think because, you know, he happened to choose, and uh, Cinefix called it his swan song. Um, which um, makes it seem like it's the last movie he's ever going to make, which isn't true, but he's I, already working on other stuff. I would give it Masterpiece, a Masterpiece yeah, title. it is. I, I I would agree with that. Which, uh, if anyone also misreads that, uh, a Masterpiece is, the, the actual term comes from uh, medieval times of apprenticeships. You would take your piece to the master, and that would be your Masterpiece. And I feel like Hollywood now is kind of twisted. Right, to like saying it's his best, right? Yeah. And it, who knows? It might be. But I but do, I do think uh, yeah, it's ma- it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. This is the culmination of all the gangster movies he's ever done. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he got to do it with the same people yeah. is tremendous. Yeah, because like we mentioned last week, um, and even at the beginning of this episode, it had been 22 years since he'd worked with Joe and Robert, because uh, Leo became his golden right. boy. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's not to say that the movies that he did with Leo weren't He still good. hasn't done half, I don't think, Yeah, I, I, of I, the movies he's done with De Niro. Yeah, I think Leo, uh, I don't he's think Leo's ever going to catch up. But, you know, again, I really, when you first pitched me this, this series... I was excited. I mean, I, I was excited from the gig. I was like, you know what? I need more Martin Scorsese in my life. Um, and when you, how when you first told me like, but you need the emotional depth for when we get to the Irishman. I was like, emotional depth. Like, how can I have emotional depth about mob movies? And now I get it. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's, you know, again, Robert De Niro is amazing. You know, I know some people don't think that at all. Yeah, the comment, um, we'll get to our comment section in a second, you assholes. Um, but it, it was truly beautiful. Um, you know, I said Al Pacino gives a powerhouse. Uh, it was Al. All three of them give a powerhouse performance, you know. Um, it just so happens that Joe and Robert sort of make it to the end of the movie. Yeah. Where Al doesn't. No. But it's just... Ma'am, um, I'm, you know, I put it, I put the movie when it was announced that it was going to have a Criterion release. Uh, I put it on my wish list, and I may be moving that to the top of the wish list so to make sure that I get it. Yeah, because I, I, I want it. Yeah, even though I know I can watch it on Netflix whenever I want. Yeah, and I bought the bootleg uh, from <laughs> uh, from this website, um, and and you bought the bootleg like. I like, bought it, was twice. it like three days before they the Criterion announced. Oh, I don't mind having to. Because I have a <laughs> I have a Scorsese section, section yeah. right? And so it, one can be in the Scorsese, one can be in Criterion. I don't care, right? <laughs> um, I 
again, this movie is extremely impactful, and this this film is much, much more important than I think a lot of people realize. Yeah. Especially, yeah, I, you know, in terms of just the casual viewer. mob movie viewer, right? Right. This is so much more important than they get it. Yeah, I, I truly, yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Because I, I feel like if we had just done this as a one-off episode, I really don't think we would be having the conversation that we've had right now. Right. Um, I mean, I think I would be saying a lot of the same things, but, you know... Going back and 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 thinking about Goodfellas and Casino and Raging Bull, it I don't think it hits the same way if we hadn't done those three movies first. Exactly, and that's um, again the the point that I wanted for this series. It was for the Irishman. It wasn't for the other three. I you know, <laughs> the other three are great, but right. The entire reason was to get to this point, and um, and even during that, uh, watching the 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 discussion the they were having mm-hmm. at that table, um, they would show clips from Raging Bull, and you're like, Jesus, it, you know, uh, seeing Pesci in that clip and then cutting to him at the table, you're just like, Wow, yeah, you know, dude, he was rocking it with that uh, that Fu Manchu. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's doing great. Uh, All right, so shall we wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? We shall. Um, Because Uh, I was looking over my notes, and I don't have an Oops, I Forgot. So That's great, man. Neither do I. Um, I, you know, I... uh, I, I definitely the series has uh, made me want to watch more Martin Scorsese movies um, I'm not gonna lie I uh, was on uh, uh, his Rotten Tomatoes page just looking over all the films he's directed uh, mainly just the ones he's directed none of the right. ones that he's like produced or anything like right. that um, <clears throat> and I'm like I was writing down like okay I gotta, gotta watch this one now I gotta watch this one I mean you know and some of them I've started, like Wolf of Raw Street. I've started it. I've just never finished it. Mm. Um, but, yeah, man. I'm going to make it now my, uh, not my life's goal, but at least a goal for the next couple of months to see all of them. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a few in there that, you know, um, people forget, you know, like Bringing Out the Dead or After Hours. So I was just about to say After uh, Hours because yeah. that, that, that popped up on HBO Max the other night and, and it's great after hours fantastic I yeah. was gonna ask you bring up the dead is fantastic you know they're now I, I just wanna that uh, was after hours his only comedy that he's done mm, well I mean I Wolf know of Wall Street's a comedy really he considers it a, a comedy I consider it a comedy it's hilarious um, <laughs> well and I know the king of comedy is a is a black comedy well yeah 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 a dark um, comedy I should say I would yeah because Hugo's not a comedy um, oh, I forgot he did Hugo. See, it's a family film, right? And that it's a, one always. That one I always forget about. That one that he did. Um, and I think only he could have done it because, uh, again, this isn't the Hugo podcast. But um, because it is connects, there a Hugo podcast? No. <laughs> uh, because it connects with film history with George Melier, mm-hmm. only Scorsese could do that because, again, he's immersed himself in the history of film. Yeah. Right. Um, which is what I try to achieve right i i want to end up with the level of expertise he has with the history of film because again like we've stated with goodfellas he uses his 
knowledge of history of film to give us that ending. Infinite knowledge, apparently. To give us that ending with the Pesci firing straight to camera, right? Or, uh, again, with Hugo bringing George Malier's films to life and the production to life, right? Mm -hmm. He knows exactly how Malier would have done it. He knows exactly what it looks like. And it's it's powerful because he is invested, right? Right. Uh, that's that's really the strength Scorsese has over everybody else. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I'm gonna have to see more. Uh, I'm glad you gave me copies of yep. the, the first three episodes, so it's three less movies I have to buy. Yep. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, I'm super stoked. Uh, that we did this. Um. Once again, you've set the bar way too high. Yep. Uh, pretty, pretty proud of that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. And it, it's it's so crazy that this is the end of season four. Yeah. And so I, I know that we always do this thing at the end of the season where we pitch. This season, uh, since we're taking a two-week break, uh, we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, mainly because, I'm a, as I've already given you the hint of what my next pick is. I still haven't really thought about it at all. I've, so only, thought about the, I've only thought about these two, and I, that's it. I have my next pick um, for when we come back. So it'll be your episode, then it'll be mine. I have that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I already have these two picked just because it's, it's something that I kind of had this idea and uh, of course, uh, our listeners will actually get to see yeah. this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, again, just want to reiterate uh, from the beginning of the episode, we're going to take a two week break just to kind of get everything prepared for the the new uh, video aspect of the podcast. Um, we're going to update the website to have an actual. Um, I may I may do a, a video section, so if you just want to see the video, you'll just go there. Or if you want to l- listen to the episode, you can just go to the the uh, the episodes page. Um, I haven't decided yet. I'll get there. Well, that's why we're giving ourselves two weeks. Um, but yeah, um, we hope everyone has enjoyed season four uh, all the way back with Children of Men. Which seems like ten years ago. That seems like a lifetime ago. When we did Children of um, Man. and uh, ending it with this Martin Scorsese, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro a thon. Um, and we really hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode, and um, we will see you guys in season five. Shut up.